0: We're in this series of messages called Be The One. So what does that mean? To be the one simply means to be whoever God created you to be, and that's it. Doesn't that sound great? We live in a world today where we feel the pressures from everybody else to be who they are instead of us being who God created us to be. We live in a world of competition. I talked about it a lot last week. So we look at others and we see what they're doing in life and we try to measure our success according to their accomplishments and it puts so much pressure on us when that isn't the measurement that God wants us to have for our life. God wants us to live up to who he created us to be. We are all unique, wonderful, beautiful creations of God. Do I have an amen about that? Amen? We we have to believe that though. And if we continue to, uh, to measure ourselves according to someone else, we'll continue to fall short. In fact, when we live to, for the approval of others, if we live according to this pathway, it seems like we just can't ever seem to be happy, that we don't have joy in life. The problem is we're not living for the right thing. We're living to be accepted by them instead of living for a relationship with God. In fact, it's when many people go through life trying to find their acceptance from other people and just can't seem to get it and lose their sense of joy and happiness that they get to a point in their life, it's like there has to be something more than this. There has to be something more. It can't be getting what they have, doing what they do. And just continuing to look at those measurements that these worldly standards have to be beautiful or this or that or whatever the world says is beautiful. I, by the way, think big creases on your head are beautiful, all right? I'm just saying, I'm a beautiful creation of God. So at least he must think it's beautiful, right? That's how we have to see it from each other. God made us who we are. So when we get to this point where we can't seem to find joy from other things— then we start thinking about God. I can't find it in my career because I can't be as good as everybody else. I can't find it in, in uh, my s- social circles because I'm not as popular as, as everybody else. I can't, and we just keep going on and on and on, and we finally get to the point where I need the answer. Well, here's the answer. The answer is to live up to the purposes that God created you for, to live up to his measurements of success. And that's what I want to talk to you about today today and next week. We're going to be learning this by looking at what uh, Luke, who was a doctor, he wrote this book called the book of Acts in the Bible. And in this book, it talks about the early Christians and what they were doing and how it was that they were living their life. In fact, as we look at them, we can learn a lot about who it is that we're supposed to be and what God expects of us as we become who he wants us to be. Again, it's all about fulfilling His purposes for us. The word purpose is a very common word that we hear a lot, Uh, especially in organizational life. You go to many businesses, and they'll have a big uh, plaque on the wall or a mission statement or purpose statement that tells you what they're about. Purpose statements are important because they do help us understand what we're about. Look at the definition for the word purpose. It means this. It's the reason for which something exists or is done made or used. So when I look at that, that definition of purpose and apply it to myself, then I need to ask myself a question. Why do I exist? Why did God make me? Why did he create me? What is it that he wants me to do? Whatever it is that he wants me to do, that's my purpose. That's why I'm here. What we're gonna learn is there isn't just one purpose, we're going to learn six different purposes that God has for us, and we're going to begin with the most important of all, and it's this. On your outline sheet, if you're following along and love to fill in blanks, this is your moment, all right? Number one is to know God. My purpose is to know God. God created me to have a relationship with Him. I find my value and having a relationship with him, with God loving me and me loving him, and there not being any conflict between us, that's where I find my sense of worth. That's who it is that I'm supposed to be. When Luke wrote this this book of the Bible, this account of history about the new testament church these early christian people there were many people who were just like people today they were trying to find answers because they were trying to live up according to worldly things like we do they weren't happy and they were turning to god themselves and they were trying to figure out well how is it that i can have a relationship with god how can i find this sense of joy through him Well, I want to read to you what it says in Acts chapter 2 that tells us how it is that we have a relationship with God. This is what he wrote. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do about what? Well, they're talking to these people. These people, again, who were living for other things. They weren't experiencing joy in their life. And they, were, they, they finally came to the point where maybe it's God. And, and they're talking to them about Jesus and about how much God loves them. And they're asking the question, well, what do we need to do to know him? What are we supposed to do to have a relationship with him? The great news is he gives us answers. It says this. In other words, these these people were living for corrupt things. They were living for their wealth. They were living for their fame. They were living for their power. They were living for pleasure. They were living for all of these things, and it was just corrupting them. What they thought was going to make them happy was not, and they were messed up people. Does this not sound like our world today or what? They were messed up people. So he's telling them, look, you've got to do something to save yourself from this. Here it is. It's in having a relationship with God. It's in knowing him personally because God will never let you down and you don't have to start living up to what everybody else wants you to do. You just have to live up to who he created you to be. So when will we do that though? When will we start this relationship with him? Look on your outline sheet. It starts with this. We are cut to the heart. We feel convicted about who we are. We look at who we are, and we know who we're supposed to be, and we know that we're not measuring up to who we're supposed to be. And we feel badly about that. We feel remorse about who we are. Well, who are we? Well, we're people who live for ourselves and don't live for other people, and because of that, we do things wrong. Other people get hurt sometimes because of that, because we become selfish people, and we know that all of us are selfish people. We all do this. And the reason why we know this and understand this is because we do compare ourselves to somebody else. But who is it that we compare ourselves to? We compare ourselves to God, God himself. We know we're not who God is or, who, or, or, or what God is like. We know that God is love and that God cares about us. Well, how do we know that? Because he sent somebody else for us to compare ourselves to. He sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to this, this world to live a life in a corrupt generation where people were selfish just like we are today, and he spent his time helping people who didn't really deserve help. He didn't go up to people and say, yeah, you're pretty good. You're good most of the time, so I'm going to help you, or you're pretty good. I'll help you. That wasn't the way it is. He was helping the adulterer and the thief and the, all these people who didn't deserve help. By the way, none of us do. Do I have a witness about that, right? I mean, none of us are perfect. So he was helping everyone, no matter what their behavior was like. He was serving them and showing love to them. And he was joyful in doing it, because that's where joy comes from. Not only that, but he went through something that he didn't deserve. I mean, all he's doing is out there telling everybody about God, how, how much God loves them. These people getting threatened by him because they felt like he was going to take over take control because people were following him around so they decided to arrest him tell him to stop doing what he was doing and because he wouldn't do it they crucified him on a cross they were getting rid of their problem why because they were corrupt they were living for themselves they wanted power and he was an obstacle to their power so they had to silence the one who was getting in their way It's what we do, right? So he's put to death because he's out there telling people about love and helping people who have needs. That's why he was crucified. What? What is that about? And people knew that. He hadn't done anything wrong. Yet here he is dying because other people had done wrong. In fact, he died because all of us do wrong. He took all of our sins and died for our sins. It's like this. It's like if we did something wrong, committed some crime, we go to the judge. The judge says, you're guilty. You're sentenced for 30 years in prison because of what you did. And then somebody stands up in the courtroom and says, wait, don't send them to jail. I'll take their place. I'll take their punishment for them and they go to jail for 30 years so that you don't have to. The difference is, the verdict is not 30 years, it's death. Because we do things wrong and we deserve death because we're sinful people. So what Jesus did basically in the courtroom is stood up and said, wait, I don't want them to die for what they've done wrong. I'll die in their place even though I haven't done anything wrong. Because I want them to be forgiven for what they've done. That's what Jesus did for us. That's what he did on the cross. So here's this guy who was willing to give his life for the benefit of other people, yet we look at ourselves and see that we're taking life away from other people by talking badly about them or taking material things for them or whatever it is, using other people, we're using them for our benefit. He's giving his life for our benefit. We're taking people's lives for our benefit. I mean, that's the difference. We see this. Here's what love looks like, and this is who I am. I want to be treated like Jesus treated people. And it gets back, I've shared this scripture so many times, it's not on your outline sheet, but it's Matthew 7, 12, right? It's, it's, the, it's the, the golden rule. I mean, in, in the scripture it tells us, uh, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. This sums up the law and the prophets. In other words, I need to treat other people the way I would want to be treated. I want somebody to, to love me and do things for me, even though I don't deserve it. That's how I want people to treat me. So I need to treat other people that very same way, but I don't do it. And I feel guilty because I'm not living the life that I know I should live. I feel guilty because I know I'm a sinner. I feel guilty because I know I'm not measuring up to who I'm supposed to be, and I feel badly about it. See, the only way a relationship is restored is when we feel badly about our role in causing the problem in the relationship. Y'all do get that, right? I mean, a relationship can't be restored unless we, we know our role and we feel badly about our role in breaking up the relationship. That's the issue in coming to have a relationship with God. If you don't feel badly about your lifestyle or what you're doing or, or the things that you do wrong that, that hurt God or, you know, whatever, or hurt other people, you'll never have a relationship with Him. It's only when you get to that point where it bothers you That God would love you so much that he gave his son. And you know you haven't been willing to do the same thing for other people. And you feel convicted about it. I'm not who I'm supposed to be. That's where it all starts. Relationship doesn't begin until we get to that point. That's when it starts. Well, what do we do next? Well, we confess, right? We get honest about it. We Come clean with what we've done. One of my favorite verses about this is in 1 John, chapter one, verse nine, which says, "This: If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us." Stop right there. Isn't that what we just talked about? If I'm looking at a problem and I don't see that I have a problem, then I can't do anything to fix the problem. So if we say I don't sin, that I'm not selfish, that I don't, I don't do things to hurt other people or take advantage of other people or whatever. If that's how I feel, I can't do anything about it. But if I acknowledge, yes, I am imperfect and fall short of what God wants me to do in showing love to everyone, then I can do something about it. What? Look at the scripture. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If you're excited about that, say amen. Aren't you happy about that? That if we come clean, that God will forgive us that if we truly are sincere in our confession about what we've done wrong, that God will forgive us. Here's the thing about God. God knows our hearts. He knows whether we're sincere or not. This is what I like to call, I've mentioned it before, a bummer. Right? Isn't that a bummer? That he knows that we can't fool God, that he knows it all. It just It really stinks. It really does. He knows whether we're sincere or not. I want you to think about this and how it relates to relationships that we have with other people and the conflict that we have with other people. I was just mention the, the the class that Jennifer and I are going to be teaching. Part of this is part of this class is conflict. That we have to be able to confess to each other. The problem is other people don't know our hearts. They hope the best, hopefully, or they may hope, or they may feel the worst because they've never seen any change in our life, right? How will they believe what we say? They'll believe what we say. When we truly confess. You know what true confession looks like? It looks like? It looks like this. This is what I did wrong. This is why it was wrong. Because I was doing it for me, and it was selfish. And this is what I know that it did to you. I hurt you because of my selfish behavior. That's true confession. Because you're, you're telling the person, I get it. I know what I did. And that's how we feel toward God, right? This is what I did wrong. I'm sinful. I I do selfish things sometimes. This is why I did it. It's because I care more about myself than I've cared about you. And this is what it did to you. I know I hurt you. Because all you've done is shown love to me. And here I am, a selfish person. We have to be honest in our confession. How do we know if the confession is is real? Let's go to the the next thing. Not only are we cut to the heart and we confess, but we repent. I love that word repent because it's an old military term. Uh, The word repent means to do an about face. So the commanders would take his soldiers out. They were doing marching exercises. They'd be going one direction. They'd say, soldiers, repent. And they would stop, and they would turn and go completely in the opposite direction. Say they heard it. They were going in one direction. Repent. Then they turned, and they started going in the opposite direction. What repentance is, is a change of heart, which leads to a change of direction. It's a change of heart, which leads to a change of direction. I love it that it's a military term, because when the people heard this scripture, they knew exactly what it was talking about because they knew the they understood the terminology it's just like what I just when I said to do an about face I think probably everybody in the room knew what I was talking about right It's to go in the opposite direction because we've heard it so much when they heard repent it was the same thing oh I was going in that direction I've got to go in the complete opposite direction it was the same thing with sin let's talk about that for a second because sin you may have heard this before is also an old military term the word sin means to miss the mark so the commander would take his soldiers out, and they would do target practice. The target would be over there. They would get their there. They would shoot. The arrow would go, and it would go, and go, and it would miss the target. It would fall short of the target. So the commander would say, soldier, you sinned. In other words, you fell short of the mark that you were shooting for. Listen to the scripture. For all have sinned and fall short. Y'all, isn't this cool? <laughs> for all have sinned and fall short. Of the glory of God, the target. What's the target? To always show God's love toward other people. To always put other people before yourself. And we don't always do that. And we don't show glory to God. Doesn't that make sense? Wow, that's pretty cool. So now I have to be a person who feels badly about the sinning. I have to repent. I have to have a change of heart, which means this. No longer am I going to live that way. I'm going to live a new way. A couple of scriptures in the book of Acts talk about this. One is in Acts chapter uh, 2. Acts chapter 3, excuse me. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent then and turn to God. Did you just hear it? About faith? Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That's cool. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Now, this is really important because it says this. Repent then and turn to God so that, everybody say so that. That was really awesome. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Let me paraphrase. My sins, let's go back. My sins won't be wiped out unless I repent. Unless I have a change of heart. That's why, y'all stay with me here, that's why a lot of people get confused about becoming Christians because they know I'm supposed to to confess to God. I'm supposed to pray some prayer to God. They know that we're supposed to do this. In fact, we hear it all the time at church. By the end of this message today, you're going to get another opportunity to pray a similar prayer to this. It's coming, y'all. Just be prepared, all right? You're going to hear a prayer, a prayer that you can pray. But the problem is some people pray that prayer, but their heart has not changed. They know they did wrong. They just don't feel badly enough about what they did wrong. Then why are they praying the prayer? They don't want to fry in hell. Who does, right? <laughs> Nobody wants to fry in hell. Nobody wants that. Nobody... So we hear this and we're threatening. It's a hellfire and brimstone stuff. So we hear that. The problem is we pray a prayer and our lifestyle never changes. Listen to this other verse about repentance. It's found in Acts 26 verse 20. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and all Judea and to the Gentiles. I preached that they should, here it is, repent and turn to God. Then it says, and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. They knew their lives had changed because they did an about face. I was doing things for myself. Now I'm doing things for others. I'm showing love to other people. It's the problem. Some people pray a prayer, but they keep doing things for themselves. They're still part of the problem. They haven't changed their hearts. Our action gives evidence that we've had a change of hearts. Are we saved because of our actions? Well, if I do more good than I do bad, then I'm okay with God. No, that's not it. If we're okay with God, we're going to do good. That's just the way it happens, right? I mean, that's the way it happens. And I also understand this. I get it. We don't always do good after we become a Christian. I mean, we become Christians. We might do good for a while, but then something creeps in and we do something selfish again again i get it y'all i'm that i don't believe that we lose our salvation i believe that when you're you're saved when you become a christian when you become a part of the family of god when you're a member of the family of god that it lasts forever and the reason why i believe that is because when we experience god we have eternal life if we could lose it it wouldn't be eternal kind of makes sense doesn't it it'd be temporary Yet there was a time in my life, however, where my life gave evidence that my heart had changed. So I know that I'm okay with God. But there are so many people who have never had a life that changed. They just prayed a prayer. Y'all, I'm not trying to talk anybody out of anything today, okay? if My hope is that everyone who's here has a relationship with God. I doubt that seriously in a, in a church this size. Which, actually, that's really great that you're coming here to get answers about okay what is this whole God thing about because I want to get it right I, want it, I don't want it to be about just actions because if I have to just live my life and it's all about I got to do enough do enough it's the same thing with God what happens if I don't do enough for God? Then I've lost it all again. No. Aren't you glad we have a forgiving God? Do I hear a witness out there from anybody? Amen. That we have a forgiving God. But there has to be a point where our life has changed. Our heart has changed. And we give evidence that, yes, I want to show love for other people like God shows love. I want to obey him. One way in which we do that is through baptism. He talked about it in the scripture. Let's write this down. Baptism is not what saves you. Even if you're not, uh, maybe if you're not a Christian and you're new to church or whatever, you've probably heard about baptism or seen baptisms and things where it's like, what in the world is all that about? Well, I want to explain that to you today. Baptism is an outward expression, okay? It's something that people see that tell people that I'm changed, Basically, it's saying this, I'm tired of my old dirty life, and I'm burying my old life so I can get up and live a new one with Christ. In baptism, it, it, it's, it's like a little drama. So when you're being baptized, you're, you're telling people what you believe. So when you stand in the water, you're saying, I believe Jesus died on the cross. Guess what it means? When you're put under the water, it means you believe Jesus was buried. And when you come out of the water, it means you believe Jesus was resurrected. So I believe in the, the life, okay, the, the death burial and resurrection of Jesus. I say this all the time. You've probably heard me say it. Aren't you glad Jesus was resurrected? Otherwise, I'd have to drown you. Okay, and it's like, it's a dumb joke. I get it, but right? Aren't you glad? We come back to life, but we come back to new life. It doesn't save us. It's not what makes us a Christian. We do it to let everybody know that our heart is changed. We just did an action to prove that our hearts changed. The reason why we don't believe in salvation is that the whole thing about, about Jesus on the cross. Jesus died on the cross. There were two thieves. One of the thieves would di- was dissing on him, saying all these terrible things. The other one was saying, Stop it. He didn't do anything wrong. So Jesus looks to the guy who, who defends him and says, Today you'll be with me and my father in paradise. And nowhere in the Bible does it say someone came and threw a bucket of water on him. It doesn't say that. His heart had changed. His heart had become committed to Christ and what Christ was doing even for him dying on that cross. But baptism is us saying we want everybody to know that we know God and believe in the the crucifixion and the resurrection, the death and the resurrection of Jesus and that we want to live a life in purity like Jesus lived his life. We want to do that. Here's the problem with a lot of people who've been Christians— Um, and you might be a Christian, okay? Baptism's not what saves you. But you become confused about your Christianity because you've never been baptized. You've never been baptized. And, you know, the devil uses that. He he causes you to really question what you did. You, You can point to other things in your life that give evidence that you have a changed life, where you've been showing God's love to other people. There's other evidences, but you haven't done this. And the reason why it's such a big thing is because it's one of the first things Jesus told us to do, to go into the world, preaching the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we want people to know that we belong to God. It's like the wedding ring of a marriage ceremony. I tell people this all the time. It's like the wedding ring. The baptism is this. I can be married. I'm still married and took my ring off. If I took my ring off and went out and uh, hung out with other people and there were ladies, they'd be all over me, the ladies, because they think, (laughs) I am just way off base, right, okay? (laughs) They don't know I'm saying. Baptism is an outward thing of letting everybody know I belong to God. That's what it's like. But we question ourselves because we haven't been obedient in that. So I want to encourage those of you who are here today who are Christians, that you've given your life to God at some point in your life, that if you haven't been baptized, I want to encourage you to get baptized. I mean, after the service today, we have our counseling area back here. There's a door with a glass window in it. We're going to have some of our counselors, but just go back there and let them know, I want to get back. we can baptize you today. We have clothes you can change into. You can schedule it for another time, whatever. But wouldn't it be awesome if you just got it right and let people, we do beach baptisms. It's coming up. Y'all, it's too cold out there right now. I wish I had hair today. I'm really wishing I had hair today. Okay, but you could do it now. We would encourage you to do that. Okay, here's the other thing. When our heart is changed, here's the great thing about it. And we give evidence of it. We know we're forgiven. We're not forgiven because we're baptized, right? But because we've given evidence of this, there's no question in our heart, in our mind, that we are forgiven. And God does forgive us. God forgives the people who feel sorrow for their behavior, have a change of heart, and are committed to live a new life. It's the same way it is with me and you. If we were in a relationship, I would forgive you as long as I know that you're changed, that you're not gonna do it again. You're not gonna be living this lifestyle any longer. I, forgive, I don't hold it against you any longer because of that. But if you did things, Said that, trying to make it seem right, but you weren't sincere. I'll just be honest with you. I'm still going to hold it against you. That's what God does. God does the same thing. He's not going to allow sin into the kingdom of heaven. He's not going to allow people who are selfish into a relationship with him. He knows that. It's the same thing with us. We're not going to have that relationship because of that. But if we're sincere, absolutely God forgives us as we forgive each other. Here's a last thing about this. It's a personal choice that we make. We decide for ourselves. In the scripture, it said this in verse 40, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. It's such an important statement because we make this decision for ourselves. Your mama and your daddy can't make a decision for you. And we get so confused about uh, being a Christian or having a relationship with God because of our past experiences with our families. Going to a class where you learn a creed or learn certain scriptures or certain regulations of a church and are able to recite certain things doesn't make you a Christian. It doesn't. Walking down in front of a bunch of people at a vacation Bible school, if you're just doing it because your friends are doing it, doesn't make you a Christian either, does it? Because somebody else is doing it. It has to be a personal decision. One of the things that happened to me when I first moved here uh, is I would go door to door. Literally, old school. I, it, they had a big sign. I remember when we first moved here, it was like, 325 homes in Lakewood Ranch. What? Can you, guys, can you hear that? 325. And how many thousands of homes are there now? I mean, that's what it was. But I would go door to door, and I kept hearing this very same thing because I would tell them I'm from, I I had an easy out, hey, I'm the new pastor at Woodland. Hey, is there anything that I can do to help you, whatever? I'd get in these conversations, and I kept hearing over and over again, I'm Catholic, I'm Catholic, I'm Catholic, I'm Catholic, I'm Catholic, I'm Catholic. And y'all, I grew up Southern Baptist. Southern Baptist training, all this Southern Baptist. It's like when somebody says you're Catholic, you're going to hell. Okay, that's what I thought. It's like, what? You're going straight to hell. Okay, I didn't know. I didn't know. That's what I thought. Then I realized, I don't know how to respond to this person. So then I went and bought a wonderful reading, The Catechism of the Catholic Church. It's about this big. And read The Catechism of the Catholic Church. And I read through there and found this thing called the Apostles' Creed, which is what you learn to recite, especially during, through confirmation and everything that you go through there. And if you read the Apostles' Creed, you know what it is? It's a statement of faith in Jesus. That's what the Apostles' Creed is. So if we state the Apostles' Creed with a change of heart, that's salvation. There's going to be a lot more people in heaven than I thought there were going to be, right? That's salvation. But if we just rely on something that we said because our parents sent us to a class, there's no change whatsoever. It's your personal choice that you make for you. That's why we have about 30% of the people in our church are Catholics. Isn't that crazy? Or or, or people who are, and some people still call yourself Catholic because you can't bring yourself to call yourself anything else. And that's fine. That's totally fine because it's not about being Catholic, Baptist, or anything else. It's about being forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what it is. That's all it is. That's why we're Woodland Community Church. God didn't call us here to lead anybody to be Baptist or anything else. He called us here to lead people to have a personal relationship with God because he is the answer. He is the answer. Okay. It might be that you're still searching and seeking the truth of all this. I want to encourage you to do something. If you don't have a relationship with God and you're still on this journey of, of discovery, we're about to start a new class called Starting Point. It's the beginning of next month. We're doing it on Sundays. It's going to be a wonderful experience for you that will give you a lot of answers about God and the basics of Christianity that will help you along this path. So if you need help in this, please, please make sure you sign up for that. You're going to hear a lot more about it. Actually, you can already, I think, sign up for it now online uh, at gowell.com/slash. I think it's just starting point. Just go there, and you'll be able to sign up for it. So please make sure you do that. Okay, let me get into one other purpose uh, before, we, before we finish. So if we're believers, now that we know God, we've come to a relationship with God. Okay, Now that we're believers, what is our purpose? Well, the scripture continues on in Acts chapter 2. Let me read it. It says this, Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We see five more purposes through that scripture. Let me talk about one of those right now. It's to worship. Our purpose, one of our purposes is to worship God. So write that down on your outline sheet. We saw it in verses 46 and 47. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They were at the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying all the favor uh, of all, all the people. So they met together in temple courts to worship God. It says this they, they were praising God. They were worshiping God. We're here today. This is a worship service. That's what we call this, a worship service. We're here to worship God. So what does it mean to worship? Great question. Here's the answer. Two definitions I want you to see. First of all, to worship is to honor someone that is adored and held in the highest regard. In other words, they are the most important thing or person to you. That's who we worship. They are our God. Whoever our God is, whatever, or whoever is most important to us, we worship them. Let me put it this way. We sing their praises, don't we? We sing their praises. We talk about them, we do things for them, we'll use our money to support them, we'll help spread whatever message, whatever it is that we live for, whatever it is, it's our God we worship it. All you have to do is to look at your time, how you spend your money to see what's most important to you. Some people uh, worship sailing. I used to love sailing all the time. I loved it, you know, and there were other people. Sailing was their God. It was just all they did. That's all they spent their money for. That's all the the time. just the relationships were built around sailing. It was their God. We can look at our life to see who is our God. Obviously, the God who created us The Father God is to be our God. Well, if he is our God, then what does that mean? That means I'm going to spend time with him. I'm going to talk about him. I'm going to learn more about him. I'm going to support him. I'm going to share his message with other people. All of these things are acts of worship that I have for God. That's what I do. Here, you're spending time today to come and think about God and connect with God. In fact, that leads to the second definition I want you to see of the word Worship. I learned this definition when I was in seminary in New Orleans, getting my master's degree. The word worship means this, to meet with God. This is what one of my professors said, worship is to meet with God. And I thought, what a simple definition of worship. In other words, I connect with God on a personal level so I can tell God how awesome he is. But in our act of worship together, this is really cool, And even individually, my worship with God. Worship is not one-way communication. Worship is two-way communication. I express how I feel toward God, how awesome he is to me. But God also expresses to me how he feels about me and his desires for me. This is how he feels about me. He loves me even though I don't deserve it. This is his desire for me, that he wants me to be love to other people as he is loved to other people. That's his desire for me. That's what he's communicating with me. So when I'm meeting with God, I want to connect with God and have a personal connection with him. Here's the thing about worship we should want everybody who comes into this place to meet with God. Here's, listen to this. I don't, want you, I don't want you to miss this. Even people who don't know God, we want you to have your first meeting with God. It could be today. Service isn't over yet. It could be today. That's why it's so important for us when we put together worship experiences that we put worship experiences that are understandable by people who come in who don't know anything about the church, who don't know anything about God, that we're speaking in a language that is common language that they understand. We need to be careful that we do that because many times we use these big words you know, uh, without giving any explanation about them, expecting everybody to know what it is. We need to make sure everybody knows exactly what it is that we talked about. I'll give you an example about it. Today we talked about repentance and we talked about sin. Both of those are churchy words. But don't you know what they're about today? And where they came from and what they really mean? Whoa, now that makes sense. because we want people, no matter what their background may be, for you to understand what it is that we're trying to communicate with you so that you can have your first meeting with God today. That's why in our worship planning and, and, and what we do, it's important for us to think through what are we saying, what music are we using, what elements are we using so that we can connect with people even who don't know God. There are people who do know God, so we need to help people who have a relationship with God. Maybe it's a very infant st- uh, uh, stage of it, or somebody who's more mature. We want to help them have a connection with God and to meet with God. So how do we do that? Well, there's some ways in which we worship God together. One of these is this. On your outline sheet, let's fill it in, that we talk to God, right? First statement is this, that we do it through what we say. So through our prayer, that we would take time to pray to God. We've had prayer in this service today already that we pray to God and what we say. One of my favorite verses from the Bible that, that I memorized early on when I was in, I think I was in high school, it's God's phone number. It's jer three three three. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Isn't that a great way to think of it? That I am to talk to God, to pray to God. There's so many scriptures in the Bible that talk about us praying to God and expressing our our heart to God as we speak to him through prayer. It's a way we do that. You're going to have an opportunity in just a moment, again, to pray, to to practice this. Here's another way in which we do it. Uh, On your outline, let's fill in this next statement. We do it through what we do. In other words, through our gifts and talents, especially in the arts. I'm a very artsy kind of person. I love to paint. I love sculpture. I love just all kind of different. I love music. I love all these different things. Drama. You know, all these things. You know, I, I've told people before, if I wasn't a pastor, I really think that I would have tried to make it in the, in the entertainment industry. I really think I would have tried to make it. I would have failed miserably. But it would have been fun, right? Because it's just like, what is your gift in this? How do you do that? It's the art part of who we are. We express ourselves through who we are. Listen to what the Scripture says in Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praises in the assembly of His faithful people. Let Israel rejoice in their Maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their King. Listen to this. Let them praise His name with dancing and make music to Him with timbrel and harp. That's why we have experiences where we have people from our fine arts academy or through our church dance. It's why we have drama and we have people do theater to be able to use their gifts to express a message to us. That's why in the past we've had people who've actually done visual arts and do paintings while music's going on or to use photography, other means by which we do this to be able to express ourselves in worship to show God. We, I'm very grateful. Very excited because this past week we just started back our creative team. Um, Before COVID and everything, everything's just got, COVID just messed so much stuff up. We understand that. But our best days were when we had a creative team of people. That came together to help develop our worship services to incorporate all of these different forms of expression so that we can communicate with people who don't know God and help people who do know God communicate with God in a more vibrant way. I'm so excited. Can y'all tell I'm excited about this? I'm so excited that we can express ourselves this way in worship. And more of that's coming. It's gonna be awesome. Third way in which we do it. So what we've already done today. So what we sing that we lift our voices before the Lord. Singing is important to some people, it's not as important to other people. There are a lot of different types of churches. There's a church in the middle of Florida, which is a cowboy church. They do all country music, love it. You know, People love that kind of stuff. I would never walk in that door even though I got boots on, all right? You play some modern music with a cowboy, I'm all yours, all right? We have these different ways in which we connect with God through worship. And we want you to connect with God through worship, through music. That's why we have a modern service. This service is a modern service. It's not changing from a modern service. It's going to be modern. Because we want to connect with you where you are. But we have a blended service earlier to help people connect in another way. But no matter what service, we need, help. We need to help people come to know God and express their feelings to God. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes right now. It's so awesome to know that God loves us. It may be that you don't have a personal relationship with him today. We want to give you the opportunity to give your life to him. The Bible says, if we call on the name of the Lord, that we'll be saved. So today, I want to help you pray a prayer that will bring you into the family. And it's kind of like a marriage ceremony. You know, in in a marriage, there's a a bride and a groom, and then there's a time where there's a vow. And when the vows are made, all of a sudden there's a husband and a wife. They're in the same family. It's the same thing in our relationship with God. Before we commit ourselves to him, we're separated from him. We know about him, might care about him. But when we commit to him, we come into the family. So I want to help you pray a prayer of commitment to him. So I just want you to imagine God sitting on his throne And I want to invite you to say this prayer to him just silently. If you want to become a part of the family of God, become a Christian, I want to encourage you to say this. Just pray this. Dear God, just pray that. Dear God, thank you for loving me. I don't deserve it. I know I do things wrong. I'm sorry for my sin. I know that you sent Jesus to die on the cross so that I could be forgiven. I know that he died to take the punishment for what I've done. And I know that he was resurrected to come back to life, to defeat death forever. I accept what you did for me, Jesus, on the cross and through your resurrection. And I commit myself to follow your example as a person of love, to show that love to those that I know. And I pray this in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, if you just prayed that minute, God hears you and says yes to you. We know this. How do we know if we're sincere about it? We let other people know about it. It's one of those ways through baptism, but I'm gonna give you a really simple way right now just to let somebody know that you're serious about what you just did. If you just prayed that prayer and you meant it with your heart, nobody looking around, I'm looking around, okay? If you meant it with your heart, just raise your hand all over the audience. Anybody who raised your hand, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God, I thank you so much for these who've made this commitment and giving their life to you. God, I thank you that they just had their first meeting with you. How awesome that is. I pray God that you would help us as we help them grow. Help us, God, to help them to develop to be the people that you want them to be. If you did, just pray that prayer. We would love to give you a a gift, a Bible, at the end of the service today. Back in the back to my right, to your left, that room I talked about with the, the glass window. We have some Bibles back there. Just head back there and just say, hey, uh, I became a Christian today. We'll know exactly what to do just to encourage you, to help you, and to give you a a gift of a Bible. If you don't have one, we want to encourage you. Let other people know about the decision that you made. It may be today, again, that you're a believer who needs to be baptized. I want to encourage you. Make arrangements to be baptized. It might be today that you just need to pray and talk to God. And we want to give you an opportunity to do that as an act of worship. Our staff are here today standing in the front, some of them. If you need someone to pray with, we would encourage you to come and just walk up to them. and. Tell them what you need prayer for, and they'd love to pray for you. If you don't want anybody to pray for you, you just want to come pray by yourself, and want to kneel in front where I am right here in front of the stage, I'd encourage you to do that, whatever it is. If if you want to just pray where you are, wherever it may be, this is your opportunity to be honest and sincere sincere before God, to speak to Him from your heart to connect with His. Let's all stand right now, heads bowed and eyes closed. You come if God leads you to come. I thank you so much for what you've taught us today. And I pray, God, that as we hear your word, that we would just be changed because of it. And I pray that as we leave this place, we know, God, that you are our heart and that we would show your love to those people that we know. You are awesome and we're grateful for what you've done for us. Be with us now as your children, God, to be your servants where we are. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen and amen. Thanks for being here today. We hope to see you next weekend.